0: Welcome to the Emily Mannix Appreciation, so, oh, sorry, I mean the Fox Hunt, Vixens by the numbers, your deep dive into all the numbers that matter to sipping at side the Melbourne Vixens. The Fox Hunt is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. I'm Erin Hunti, a freelance netball journalist. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Achuga in Victoria, the lands of the Yorta Yorta people, I pay my respects to their elders past and present. As you know, this is a stats-based podcast about blending the feel of what happens on the Super Netball Court with the cold, hard statistics. Every week, I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Fox from Deakin to analyse the Melbourne Vixens' most recent performances. Aaron is a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods and a sports data and visualisations expert, and now a contributor to Fox Sports Centre Circle Show as well. And right now we are going to look at the Melbourne Vixens quite extraordinary win over the Giants in Saturday night's preliminary final. And also ahead to the big one. I'm going to try and not say the big dance because I know a lot of people are not a fan of that. But we're talking, of course, about the Super Netball Grand Final to be held in Perth this Sunday. Aaron, I cannot tell you how jealous I am that you were caught side at John Cain Arena for this match. What was it like, especially in those dying moments?
1: Well, Erin, you 100% picked the wrong final (laughs) to travel down to Melbourne for and miss this one. Because I think for those who are there, they will understand this was one of the big sporting moments of the year and you could just see what it meant to the players, the Vixen staff and the fans after the final siren and yeah, missing this big defensive game I know it must be hurting you
0: look I just couldn't quite make it work for my own netball commitments with my own team but we did get the win and we did lock in a final four finish for the McCorner Tigers so it still does break my heart a little bit I have to say that I wasn't sacrifice worth making that's right that the irony that I missed netball because of netball so after a great start that was eroded by the Giants, mainly through Joe Harton's super shots, the Vixens trailed by nine goals at the three-quarter time break of this match, only to outscore the Giants 17-7 in the final term to complete a quite remarkable comeback. It's the accuracy of goal shooter uh, Maya Komwenda and goal attack Rani Samson, who had a really solid game. That accuracy really ensured this uh, the comeback that they were able to do. They... They nearly, you know, they nearly did, or they didn't miss after half time. A comwenda mistake right at the end almost cost the Vixens very dearly after Amy Parmenta just intercepted a pass meant for Liz Watson, who simply wasn't paying attention at the time. But it was all saved, as I mentioned at the top there, by a dramatic, magnificent, memorable, extraordinary intercept by goalkeeper Emily Mannix that, look, personally, I will never, ever tire of watching on repeat, but... I digress. Uh, Conwenda shot 36 from 37 regular shots in this game. Samerson also added an important 16 from 20, including three super shots for, you know, overall about an 81% accuracy for the Vixens. The Giants missed 11, so for an accuracy of about 78%. But The Vixens defenders were, dare I say it, the stars of the night, as you mentioned, Aaron, with Kate Eddy, player of the match, Joe Weston um, and Mannix racking up 11 gains, including six intercepts, seven deflections and three rebounds. And as I ask you every week, Aaron, what were the stats that stood out for you in this match?
1: Well, you've picked out some important ones there, Erin, so I'll dig into some of the others. And there were some eerie similarities looking at this match versus the last matchup against the Giants. Once again, the biggest disparity was in the Super Shots, which you've Mm. kind of already touched on a little bit there. They were 10-3 to in the Giants' favour. And if you remember in the last matchup, they were huge in keeping them in the game. And once again, these Super Shots were big in that second quarter where they had six. Uh, in getting them back into the game at the end of the first half. Uh, again, much like last time, the Giants had this huge deflections advantage, uh, taking this 17 to 8 over the Vixens. But of those 17 deflections, only two resulted in gains. So once again, the Giants might have really been ruining these missed opportunities. That was, again, characteristic of the last time the teams played, where they couldn't convert those deflections into gains. Looking at the gains, though, the Giants did actually uh, top the Vixens in this category 14 to 13, but as we know, it doesn't matter because the Vixens recorded 10-plus gains in this match, which is their key barometer for winning versus losing. Uh, One area they did um, outplay the Giants here was the gain to goal conversion percentage where Mm -hmm. they led the Giants 69% to 57%. So while they had one less gain, they were just that little bit more efficient in converting that to scoring. And perhaps the most important stat of the night, which you've touched on already, that (laughs) 10 goal margin in the final quarter, 17 to 7, and outscoring the Giants by just enough in that final period to get the win.
0: How amazing that your 10 games and the Vixens win stat stood up in such a big game. I recall Cath was pretty amazed by that on Centre Circle last week. So I sort of had one eye on that, on, on champion data as the game was unfolding. But anyway, let's dive into that crazy last quarter that you just touched on, shall we? Now, for this episode, we thought we'd draw on some of the great questions that were asked by our loyal Fox Hunters um, throughout this podcast today. So, Georgia Doyle um, had a specific question about the last quarter, so let's use that as a bit of a jumping-off point here. Over on Twitter, Georgia asked, has a team ever won after being down by nine at three-quarter time? Obviously, a reference to this prelim. She? He's confident you can compare super shot era and non super shot era here because in the prelim, the two sides both had the same number of successful super shots in that final quarter, which was just the one, and it was such a dull quarter as well, wasn't it, Aaron? With a uh, lacking yeah. the excitement of super shots.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I was, yeah, struggling to stay awake a little bit <laughs> in this last quarter, obviously. um as i just mentioned the vixens outscored the giants by 10 in that final quarter so come back to win by one there are a couple of examples across uh, anz championship and super netball history mm-hmm. uh, where teams have outscored opponents by 11 in the final quarter of a match this is the most uh, teams have ever outscored their opposition by in the fourth quarter. And these were in 2017 and 2018, mm-hmm. but in these matches, the winning team was only six and one goal down at three quarter time. So I'm looking at ones where teams have been down and then won by the end of the match. Um, so this, comeback from a third quarter deficit of nine goals mm-hmm. is in fact the biggest fourth quarter comeback in ANZ championship super netball history mm-hmm. um, by one or two goals, I think. Um, but what makes this even bigger, I think, is that it was in a final and the closest fourth quarter comeback in finals history before this match was just four goals. So oh, a huge yeah disparity in what the Vixens were able to do in such a big game.
0: Yeah, wow. So the feel definitely matched the the real, I should say, really matched the feel there because I could imagine, I mean, even watching at home on the couch, it felt like you were sort of watching history unfold. The closeness of the game towards the end has really been the focus of much of the discussion since then. But I think it might be worth looking at the fact that this game actually wasn't this close across the board if if you you look at the the goals scored. So um, our friend Ian Harkin also from Twitter had a question to help us flesh this out. He asked, how many examples can you find of games that end with a very close result but didn't have any close quarters. So the quarters in the preliminary final were won by eight, 10, seven, and and 10, as we've just talked about. And yet the game was decided literally on the final whistle. And for the purposes of this question, we're going to define close uh, as one or two goals and then five goals, I guess, as the outer limit for what is a a close quarter. So I thought this was a really great great question. What did you find, Aaron?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a great question. And a really interesting kind of notion of a close game that was never Mm. actually close when you look at it from a quarter-by-quarter perspective. So I once again looked across ANZ Championship and Super Netball history uh, for games where goal differential was five or more in every quarter, and this turned up 17 games. Now, across 15 of these games, the final margin ranged from 19 all the way up to 43, So in these matches, Mm. it's typically one team simply staying on top across most quarters. Now there's our game from the weekend where the final margin was one, and then there's one other game where this happened, a 2021 matchup between the Swifts and Fever, where the Swifts came out on top by one. Mm. And the flow of this game was very similar to the weekend, but just in reverse with the final winner, where the Fever jumped out to a lead. In the first quarter the swiss took over and and sort of beat them in the second and third mm-hmm. and then the fever came back in the fourth but just couldn't get over the top there like the vixens did on the weekend so i think this is another example of how unique this game was and how sort of history defining the the end result was when you look at it in this perspective.
0: It's nice when the conventions are kind of thrown out the window a little bit. I really do like when a commentator or someone will mention a statistical fact and then in five minutes later they go, oh, well, I think, you know, that, that, that hoodoo is gone from their poor scoring in the second quarter or perhaps I think that was the case with the Giants at the weekend. But that's really interesting, that Swift's fever game, because I think that backs up the impression that some people have out there that fever can, can fail in the close ones or, you know, towards, you know, to have to be able to fight back in. So that's really, um, really fascinating. But... Now, it's time to focus on the big one, the grand final, to be held at RAC Arena, which is on the lands of the Wadjak Nonagang people. We know some vixens are making the journey over the Nullarbor to watch in person, but for those following on TV, the match will be streamed live on KO Freebies. It starts at 7pm Eastern Time, which is 5pm in Perth. And if you need any information about how to watch, jump onto the Melbourne Vixens website. And also on the Vixens website, fans can send their favourite player or support group or anyone from the Vixens a message of support ahead of the grand final. But... On to the important stuff. As our loyal Fox Hunters would know, the Vixens have played Fever three times this season, winning by nine goals in round four and then six in round 10, but of course, losing the major semi-final at John Kane Arena by nine a couple of weeks ago. Now, you wanted to talk about some contrasting stats between the two teams, Aaron.
1: Yeah, definitely, because there's some really interesting things that come out when you look at the Vixens' wins versus losses across these three games. But we'll start with the fever first and mm-hmm. looking at their stats across those three games they're actually surprisingly consistent we'll get to the vixens in a sec as to where these big differences are but this sort of lends itself to my feel around the fever that there isn't a whole lot of wiggle room in their game they play a certain way and they consistently stick to it you know mm-hmm. they they have their game plan and it typically it, it follows the script um But the main differences in these three matches for the Fever, uh, in the first two losses against the Vixens, they had three and four intercepts, but then they had eight in their win in that semi-final. And then if you look at the flip side for their total possession losses, um, in the two losses against the Vixens, they lost possession 22 and 20 times, but only 17 in their win in that semifinal. And they were kind of the, the key things that stood out when you contrasted the Fever's team stats across these three matches.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about such small margins, aren't we, really? Like you're looking at the intercepts, you know, the, the difference between four and eight, you know, one intercept per quarter, but it really is enough for them to to get control and, and win the game. Um, it's almost like defence matters. In the end, Aaron, in finals. Just a little bit. (laughs) But what about the other end? Because we love uh, our goalers as well. What distinctions have you spotted uh, there between the two teams?
1: Yeah, well, as I said, the Vixen stats are where the big contrasts are. And perhaps this bodes well for the Vixens as they seem to kind of control their own destiny in these Mm matchups with how they play, maybe more so dictating the result. And... Like you said we'll start down the uh, attacking end and attacking efficiency was a big contrast in the wins versus losses against the fever this year if we look at total shot attempts they had 77 in both of those wins against the fever but only 60 in the loss including just 43 standard shot attempts in the loss versus 64 and 74 of those in the wins. Uh, The circle fees with attempts was probably a big factor in this. They had 71 and 73 in their wins and only 55 in that semi-final loss. Uh, The made shots as well, obviously uh, 67 and 69 in the wins and only 50 in the loss. And, you know, a lot of this probably started at the centre passes. Their centre pass to goal conversion was 80% in both of those wins, but that dropped down to 67% in that semi-final loss.
0: Yeah, wowzers, that last one, that centre pass conversion is quite extraordinary 67 percent I reckon it's fair to say the Vixen girls will probably be doing a fair bit of that systems work off the centre pass this week um, ahead of the grand final now the number of contacts in particular and penalties more broadly has been a hot topic in the recent games as well what does that look like in the wins and losses
1: we often talk about the Vixens um, and penalties and them being a pretty the disciplined side, and that allows them to stay in play. And this was definitely the case in the times that they beat the Fever this year uh, with a pretty good number of penalties. They had 54 and 42 in their wins against the Fever, but this really ballooned out to 74 in that semi final loss. Um, And, you know, it was both contacts and obstructions. They had 47 and 35 contact penalties in their wins, 60 in the loss, um, seven obstruction penalties in both their wins and 14 in their loss. And like we always kind of bang on about that necessity (laughs) to stay in play is obviously really important to winning in netball.
0: Yeah. And look, those numbers, in that major semi-final loss, they sort of, they tend to balloon out because they're sort of indicative of a team that's chasing and trying to turn over ball and that sort of thing. But then you end up exactly as you just say, you then end up being out of play as well. So it becomes this double-edged sword. I mean, there's seven obstructions. In the wins is a perfect yeah a perfect example of what you're talking about of them remaining in play and putting that pressure over the ball like we saw against the Giants you know Kate Eddy's hands and Joe Weston's hands were just constantly in the face of the the Giants mid quarters in that game. Now what about turnovers and and pickups because there's a pretty stark difference there as well.
1: Well turnovers are a favourite stat of ours here <laughs> and as usual there's a big contrast when you look at a win versus a loss in these fever matchups. So the general play turnovers, 15 in both wins uh, and 22 in the loss. So big difference there. Uh, and the loose ball pickups, you know, being able to get on top of those deflections, um, the Vixens were really good in that area in the wins against the Fever with nine and 16 in those two matches, but only four in that semi-final loss. Yeah. So, again, losing the ball, not being able to pick it up, not a good um, formula for winning.
0: Yeah, I mean... I don't actually remember that 16 pickups in that that second win. I mean, that's more than we saw in the preliminary final in total at the weekend. So that kind of shows you how how hard they were working um, in that win. And another stat that we love, um, obviously, uh, are gains and the all-important gain-to-goal percentage. Uh, here on the Fox Hunt, we're always talking about it. How do those number numbers look in the three games between the Vixens and Fever this year?
1: Once again, big contrasts. Uh, so for total gains, they had 10 and 13 in their wins, so meeting that 10-plus criteria for a Vixens win and only seven in that semi-final loss. And then if we also look at the gain to goal percentage, it was 80% and 92% in their wins, which is very high for that metric. And that plummeted to 43% in the loss. And so this is a real double whammy with respect to that semi-final loss where the Vixens made less gains and then compounded this by being much less efficient in scoring from these, which as you mentioned, we talk about this Week in week out, these are this is a very big important stat being able to score from your opposition's turnovers.
0: Forty three percent is kind of the stuff of nightmares for for a coach at, at that level. So I mean, they re- that really speaks for you that speaks for itself, doesn't it? In a, in a loss, what's a head to head to watch for in this upcoming grand final? I mean, Janelle Fowler is obviously a huge presence there. We're going to have Bruce versus Kamwenda prize fight down the other end, but. I reckon the the battle in the middle between Verity Simmons and Kate Maloney will have a, a big bearing on the result. You had a bit of a look at that that matchup?
1: Yeah, we'll have to get into the nitty-gritty of the mid here. We know <laughs> as you say, Fowler and from Winder, down either end, they're gonna score. You've got yeah. to shut them down. Um but there's some I some more intricacies between this potential matchup between Verity Simmons and Kate Maloney. Uh And looking back at how this has gone in the previous matchups, it was interesting to see that in the two Vixens wins, Maloney played one match each, predominantly in centre versus wing Mm defence. And then in the semi-final, she was somewhat forced to flip between the two. And so perhaps this flexibility to keep Maloney in a consistent spot is key to those regular season wins over the Fever. But I do think that Maloney playing in centre it might come down to a key shutdown role in this grand final Uh, because if you look at Simmons numbers of feeds these have progressively grown from 23 to 32 to 35 across the matchups against the Vixens this year so she's become a more prominent feeder in these matchups as the season's gone along and those 35 feeds in the semi-final was her second highest total for the year and so, obviously, limiting the ease and volume of feeds going into a shooter like Janiel Fowler is a big factor in stopping the fever, and so we might really see Maloney try and shut down that avenue to the, to the shooters in the grand final.
0: Yeah, and obviously uh, Kate Maloney has that really strong defensive background. We know in the discussion for Diamonds, a lot of people were saying, is she a wing defence, is she a centre, is she a wing attack? And I, I think people maybe question sometimes her attack game, but defensively is where she you know, she really can dominate. We saw that against Jamie Lee Price at the weekend. Also, I think it's really interesting um, you were talking about Simmons having those really high numbers and those growing, but it felt as if in that major semi-final that they were at the Fever were able to spread the load as well and let Alice Teague take a lot of those feeds into Fowler. So it didn't have to be all on Simmons' shoulders, even though she was obviously still the number one um, feeder. So that's for me why I think Kate Eddy is really key as well here, that you've got that sort of double defence in the, in the midcourt there. Now it's time for Fox answers the fans. I mean, we've been doing this a little bit during this episode, but we're here for proper now where we try to stump Aaron with a curly statistical question. And once again, we've got a stack of really brilliant questions from listeners. So Libs Bennett on Twitter is first up. She wants to know when was the last time a team who scored the first goal went on to lose the game? And also when was the last time – aside won the first quarter but went on to lose the game so she's interested in this stat for the 2022 season uh in particular and then sort of finals historically
1: well i mean i was on a bit of a roll looking through historical (laughs) data this week so i kind of just decided to take a look at the entire ANZ championship super netball back catalog for these ones actually Uh, You know, knowing Libs and her stats on Twitter, this is actually a pretty standard question for Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But an interesting one nonetheless. Um, And it turns out that the team that scores the first goal actually loses the game about 43.6% of the time. So it's a bit of a dip below a 50-50 split with respect to scoring that first goal, but still not a whole lot much better than what I'd label as flipping a coin. Okay. Uh, Now, when we look at the leader at the end of the first quarter, it's actually much closer here with the leader at quarter time losing about 51.3% of the time. So technically you're more likely to win if you're losing at quarter (laughs) (laughs) time, but I wouldn't say this is a solid (laughs) statistic. Again, it's a bit of a coin flip. And I'd say my conclusion from this question that is if your team doesn't score the first goal or if they're down a quarter time, no real reason to give up. You're
0: isn't? still in it. Keep playing. Still in it. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Look, you t- I don't know how I feel about you telling me that the coin toss at the start of the game to get the ball or the end doesn't really mean anything, Aaron, because as the captain of my, co-captain of my team, I take that role very seriously and we actually keep statistics between my co-captain and I about who wins them and then who wins the game based off of that. So don't tell me it it doesn't matter, okay?
1: (laughs) Well we can look into your numbers (laughs) in a little bit more detail later on.
0: Now for something wonderfully niche, Twitter user Lee wants you to examine the impact of Joe Weston's hairstyle on the Vixen's win-loss ratio this year. So with a special focus on what happens when she wears the plat pony versus when she doesn't so now you've done some brilliant statistical analysis across the last 14 episodes or show of the fox hunt pod aaron but this is the stuff that matters what can you tell us
1: uh well i'll start (laughs) by saying firstly like plat pony bun these are somewhat new terms for me within my analytical career (laughs) Uh, but I will say that I've probably put the most effort out of answering any fan question into this one. You know, it involved watching replays, collecting new original data, etc. cetera. Um, so, yeah, a, a bit of effort's gone into this one. Love I it. I did look back at this year's games and found that the Plat Pony, again, Correct me, Aaron, if I'm saying it wrong. Got it right. Made an appearance in 14 games this year and the bun only came out just in two. Ooh. And in those 14 games of the, the Platt Pony, uh, the Vixens recorded 12 wins and two losses at a win rate of about 86%. In the two games of the bun, the Vixens won one and lost one with a win rate of 50%. Uh, so I've got to say here, the limited bun sample <laughs> size is Probably messing with any ability to draw conclusions, and there's potentially a bit of what I'd label recency bias sure. going on around when discussing Joe Weston's hair, because mm-hmm. admittedly the win with the bun did come against the Thunderbirds in round 13 and the loss in that semi-final. So yep. perhaps some late season changes coming into <laughs> Western's routine here. Yep. Uh, but even that win against the Thunderbirds in round 13 with the the Western bun wasn't the most convincing Same one win. of the year. Yep, so. I guess if you're Joe, do you risk it for the grand final? Um, I don't really know. And I've got to finish here by asking you know, how did we get here with this podcast, Aaron? <laughs> the last bit of analysis for the year is focusing on player hair.
0: Look, Aaron, here on the Fox Hunt, we can talk, walk, and chew gum at the same time. We can pull apart the statistical anomalies of the world's best netball league and we can care about hair. We can do Both of these things. I think it's also important to point out that Joe had the pony plat in the 2020 Super Netball Grand Final, which of course the Vixens won too. So I think that's an important data point. Um, But I'm thrilled to think that we've been able to discuss things that are this important as well as the serious analysis that we've done. It's great to hear too from the fans. It (laughs) is. Now, look, as is customary at this time of the pod, I have to ask you for a prediction, Aaron. Uh, But this one is very important. Not only do I want a statistical performance prediction, please, but I want a winner and maybe even a margin if you can stretch to one, maybe an MVP. I want you to put it all on the line for me, please. Mm.
1: Well, firstly, I think it's pretty safe to say (laughs) that Joe Weston will 100% come out with the pony flat for the grand final. The data certainly supports that. So let's get that one out of the way. Tick. Uh, I cannot avoid my old favourite for a fever matchup. Uh, and with the Vixens' defensive unit meshing again towards the end of that preliminary final, I think that they can limit the fever to that scoring range of 60 yeah. to 65. It's an old favourite, but we'll come back to it again. Uh, and now I have strayed away from predicting predicting wins and margins all year, but I suppose the leash is off for the grand (laughs) final. Yep. And I'm going to, of course, predict that the Vixens will reach that 10 plus gains barometer Yep. and take the win. And I'm just going to say 66 to 63. It just feels right. And you know, we didn't sneak in a Watson watch this week, so she's going to take out the MVP for the grand final.
0: (sighs) I uh, love that you've gone really big there with an MP- MVP prediction, Aaron, and also that old favourite of ours of the score differential. Well, thanks to our partner, Deakin University, the world's number one sports science school, that's our bumper grand final preview, and we've crept up a little bit on the time, so hopefully our listeners will forgive us for that. Now, while you're watching the grand final this Sunday or during the week, please make sure to tag your pictures with hashtag finals fearless on your socials so the team from the vixens can share the love and a massive thank you to you our listeners for being with us this season whilst we dove deep into the numbers and statistics of the melbourne vixens i'm erin Hunty and you've been listening to the fox hunt Music